It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Man, I'm, so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot, fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it every night about it. A real C's fan wouldn't want to live their life without it. Banner 18 in the making, we got to make it. Best squad in the East and still we can't get complacent. Most winning franchise, so the history's ancient. You can tell the mother guys are going plan a vacation. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King Locked on, trying to get the 18th ring The most in-depth coverage that you ever gonna hear Well-respected in a city like Russell's career It's raining Jays Raining Jays Welcome back. This is the Locked On Celtics Podcast And we want to thank you for making us part of your daily routine We're here for you Monday through Friday even now, as the All-Star break begins to wind down, what we're going to do today is look back at the season. Tomorrow, we'll look forward at the rest of the season and the playoffs or however that works out. But right now, we'll look back at the uh, best and worst games of the season. We're going to look back and give out the pre-All-Star break tacos, the taco truck. And we'll start by talking about Brad Stevens and trying to have like a, not just an honest conversation about Brad stemming from his, my grades. I gave him a B plus on mass live and he, it spurred a bunch of discussion. And I want to continue that on the podcast. First of all, introductions. We're the Rain and Jays. I am John Corrales of MassLive.com, joined today by Samuel Jamison Packard. The third also known as ladies love cool jam. Jam. For you new listeners, I'm Reds Army underscore John on Twitter, and he is at Jam Packard. Follow us there for all of your online shenanigans, a lot of crazy posting on Twitter. Let's dive into this topic, Jam. Brad Stevens. Uh, so I did my report card. Everybody does a report card of some sort at the All-Star break, and I got assigned to do that. So I did, and Brad Stevens, I gave him a B plus. Now, I don't know, grades are arbitrary. They're based on, no, there's no test to take. I just kind of thought he did some good things. He did some things not so great. He's still learning about this team, and he's still learning how to handle a team like this. Uh, but people, some people thought it was it was low. I was told by many people that it was a generous grade. So let's start there. What's your opinion of a B-plus for Brad Stevens? Now, this is hard for me. I'm a proud member of the Church of Brad Stevens, Kaizen, yep. to all the folks out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of his uh, greatest disciples. Um, I think it's a little high, but I'm trying to couch that with the fact that it, it all comes with expectations. I mean, but I think both of us picked this Celtics team to win uh, 60 games this year, and so obviously they're behind that pace, and it's not something that looks likely. Um, and so I think like the – Brad Stevens is always someone who he comes on stronger uh, later in the season. And the, the early part of the year is always kind of tinkering and trying to figure out what works. And it seems like he's been, it's taken a while um, to figure out what works in retrospect. 
the decision to start what what we dubbed the erotic city lineup, uh, but to have Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown in the starting lineup to start the year doesn't seem like his best decision, especially with where Gordon Hayward is now. Uh, he's clearly not back to full strength. He clearly was not there uh, to begin the year. And so I think that was probably Brad's biggest mistake. And I think the thing that drops him down um, – I think I don't think it's much below a B or a B minus. I don't think I mean he's clearly the team is still really good, but I think bringing in starting Gordon Hayward uh, to start the year where he just clearly wasn't the same player was a mistake. Um, and I don't know if it's something that he could have uh, could have avoided. Like you want to start the star, the guy you're paying thirty million dollars a year, um, but to have him start and clearly not be right, and to have people move to the bench like. Uh, Terry Rozier or other guys expect to get better minutes. I think that was his biggest mistake, and he and like that created this the kind of ten and ten start where immediately expectations were not met, and then it's, it's just like kind of racing to play catch up the rest of the year. Okay, um, so what I think is when it comes to Hayward, I, I think the starting lineup that he started was the starting lineup that everybody coming in thought should be the starting lineup. Everybody was oh, yeah, excited absolutely. For that. Everybody was very excited for that. So he – I don't think anybody can blame him. You could say, okay, it's – in retrospect, it looks like a mistake. And by switching the starting lineup, things changed. But the decision at the time was everyone felt like it was the right one. So – Yeah, but we didn't watch Gordon Hayward in practice. Like, they, he had to have no – the Celtic staff had to know going in that Gordon Hayward wasn't 100% Gordon Hayward yet. Like, they sure. had watched him in practice. But you also have Kyrie Irving and Al Horford and, and Tatum and Brown, and you can you didn't need Gordon Hayward to be great. And I can see how you start the season. You say, let's, let's start these guys, see how it goes. And you, you don't need Hayward to be anything close to what he was at the at, at least to start the season because you've got these other guys that can pick up the slack like you don't need you don't need him to be back yet so i can see starting that lineup i can see it did he wait too long to make the switch i think he made the switch from gordon hayward after 18 or 17 games or something like that so um i don't know i I'm on the fence when it comes to the Gordon Hayward starting to start the season because I think just rolling out what you think the starting lineup should be at the beginning is what you should do. And I'm not going to I'm not going to fault him for that. Uh in retrospect, moving him to the bench was better. I think after 17 games or whatever the number was that he did that, I think Brad Stevens saw that it wasn't working. Uh, it's also unfair to say that that was the only reason it wasn't working. I think Jalen Brown, why he moved to the bench was part of the, you know, part of the same thing. Uh, he was struggling in the starting lineup to get his, um, to get his opportunities. And Jason Tatum was struggling to perform up to expectations and making that switch after 20 games is kind of what set the team right. Uh, yeah, he, he definitely deserves credit for, I mean, if you're going to uh, criticize him for like having a bad starting lineup to start the year, he's clearly made an adjustment by putting in st- like putting both Marcuses in the starting lineup. And the team, um, save for a few three-game stretches here or there, 
has been actually damn good since both Marcuses have been in the starting lineup. They immediately ripped off a giant winning streak. Uh, they've like in January they were pretty much unbeatable. They were one out of like eleven or thirteen out of fifteen. No, it's eleven out of thirteen. Like they were, uh, they really have gotten much better. So it's because of all the expectations they started off the season uh, not so great, and immediately it's, it's playing catch up. But if you're if you want to credit someone for making adjustments, I mean that's what like exactly what the coach is supposed to do. I think he deserves uh, a lot of credit there for realizing what he had did not work and making the appropriate changes to get the best out of the basketball team. Oh my God, I'm immediately here's, talking myself <laughs> in, into giving him a higher grade, but I think that's a, that's a huge here's, point. Good. I'm sorry. Here, here's my here's my question, and and what we've heard along the way is like, and and Jay has mentioned this before the season started. Brad Stevens set a, a higher expectation for Brad Stevens. I mean, for uh, Gordon Hayward by saying he looks like the old Gordon Hayward. And throughout the beginning part of the season, we heard that in practice, he looked okay. And it's, it's been in games that he's struggled. Now his first breakout was December 1st at Minnesota, where he had, he had the big, what is it? 30 point game off the bench. Uh, and that was, that was his, like the first sign that he had something inside of him that was more than what we had been seeing. So the question here is, was the Gordon Hayward that the team saw in practice, a different Gordon Hayward that existed in the games? And if so, that would explain why Brad Stevens thought that starting him was a good idea. I'm open to the idea of saying, well, if you saw the guy struggling in practice, then it probably would have made a lot of sense to bring him off the bench and say, you know what, Gordon, you're not there. We're going to start you. We're going to start you by playing 20 minutes a game. We're going to, we're going to slowly bring you back. We're going to let you get your groove off the bench. That, that makes sense. Why did Brad Stevens start Gordon Hayward right away? Why did he I think it was things? I think it was like psychology, more Jedi mind tricks, growth mindset type approach where you're not going to say he can't do anything. You're going to try to let him basically give him an opportunity and say, like, this is what you're striving for. You're going to be a starter. But like just physically, we could see that Gordon Hayward wasn't the same. I can't I don't I really don't buy that. He looked the same. Uh, in practice and like looked all the way back. It just, we saw like the way Gordon Hayward played the first couple of months and still continues to kind of like get better. I just, I don't buy that. It feels like more like trying to build Gordon Hayward back up, um, from a, a psychological approach and build his confidence back up. And if that's the decision, I mean, Brad's more of a, a mental alpha than I am. And so he can, he can figure those things out, but I just really, I find it hard to believe that it's just like Gordon Hayward's physical performance early on in the year was surprising to anyone on the Celtics staff. No, I, I'm just going by what I heard. I don't think that the guy that they saw in practice was old all-star level Gordon Hayward, and then all of a sudden he sucked and it was very perplexing. But I'm, I think just from the comments that were made around uh, by Brad Stevens, who keeps saying this is the guy that we've seen in practice – and by other guys, it feels like the guy that was in practice was better than the guy who was on the floor in games. And that's 
why Brad Stevens kind of went with that starting lineup. That's my that's my assessment just looking at it. Maybe not. Maybe Brad Stevens just maybe he just flat out made a mistake. Maybe he just said I can't do I can't do this to Gordon Hayward. I've got to give him the opportunity to like he's the starter and it's the mentality of the starter doesn't lose his his spot by injury, so he's going to go and he's going to be the starter until he proves that he can't be the starter anymore. And after 17 games, he said, you know what, this just isn't working. We've got to move him to the bench and do something different. That's If that's the case, then that's the case. And we can say that he made a mistake by, by not doing that from the beginning of the season, fine. But I, I understand, I think I understand why he went with him as a starter. I think it's because he looked better in practice, and I think they thought that the pressure would be off of him when he was starting alongside all of these other good players, and he wouldn't feel the pressure to perform because you have Kyrie next to you, you have Al Horford, and you know you have all these guys who are good passers. You just play off of those guys, and you get your, you get your points when you get your points, and you'll be fine. So, that... So- Beyond Gordon Hayward, like obviously that did not go well. Brad made the switch. The Celtics have gone twenty-seven and eleven, kind of since that happened. Their biggest problem, I would say, ever since making the switch, is that they they have these stretches where it's just like three losses in a row. There's a there's a bad one. They had Detroit, Phoenix, Milwaukee. They had that awful Florida road trip followed by a Brooklyn loss, and then they had the two losses to Los Angeles. Angeles. How much of the blame, I guess, or how much does that fall on Brad Stevens for like his team not being as resilient as I guess we've seen uh, with past uh, Celtics teams or even past Brad Stevens teams? I mean, he definitely he definitely bears some of the brunt on that, if, if nothing else, not for not sending uh, a message to certain people who were guilty uh, by by taking away some of their minutes by. Uh, and I think we saw it happen with uh, Jason Tatum, and it was, I believe, that first Knicks game in Boston where they lost. Uh, that was on November 21st, where they had losses to Utah, which was bad. They only scored 86 points. They went to Charlotte and lost, and then they came home and lost to the Knicks. And I think that was the game where Tatum was benched. That was the beginning of, that's the 18th game of the season. That's the beginning of Brad Stevens starting to pull some minutes for some guys. Um, I, and at that point, geez, what was their record at that point? It was not great. That was, uh, they were, they were on their way to a 10 and 10 record. So they're right. They were under, they were under 500. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that three game losing streak put them under 500. I'm right. pretty sure. Okay. So, I feel like that first 20 games is Brad Stevens just trying to, and we saw it even with the timeouts, like that timeout question that I asked him recently. He has a tendency to just try to let these guys figure it out. Like he doesn't want to go in and be the coach that says, I'm going to save you all the time. So it took him until eight game 18 to start taking minutes away from guys. And he still doesn't do that enough. Uh, it, it's taken him all season to try to start calling timeouts when these long, those prolonged runs go. Cause he wants these guys to 
pull themselves out of the tailspin rather than him coming in to say, I'm going to save you. Uh, but sometimes he has to do the saving. Like this is, we're going beyond the point of teaching lessons here. We're two thirds beyond two thirds. Now of the season, we have to start like, you got to come in and start taking control and be like, okay, you guys don't want to do this. I have to do it for you and get, get up in them. Like if there's one weakness that Brad Stevens really has, it's that he lets those guys, he gives those guys too much rope and he needs to start hopping in. And how much do you think that's a product of like the, of uh, kind of his tinkering and growing throughout the season and where so early on in the year, there is some adversity um, well, you're not as like you, you want to kind of test someone's resolve or test someone's ability to kind of, uh, answer back. And then as you move closer to the playoffs, you're like kind of, uh, trying to find out what, to, like what exactly works on your team. And, and you kind of fine tune it more where it's less about kind of the process and more focused on just like, we need to win basketball games. Cause I feel, I feel like you're right. He's like, you become quicker with the timeout, uh, Definitely in the most like recent couple of games, but I also think he's um, he's not like letting people go. Like if you're not having a great night, I feel like he's more willing to uh, kind of restrict your minutes. Um, although I can't think of a specific example of someone having a terrible performance and him not like that person not playing in the fourth quarter. Um, but that being said, the Celtics have played pretty well, uh, really, ever since uh, January, ever since like coming home in January. I think the most recent example of that would be not playing Jalen Brown down the stretch of the Clippers game where Jalen Brown had some pretty egregious defensive errors and he, he wasn't playing down the stretch, but that wasn't, I don't think that was a particularly like, like a benching, but just a redistribution of his minutes. Uh, I, I, I think that Brad Stevens coaches the, the season in, in two segments that he, um, does a lot of data gathering. So that's why the first 20 games, he probably could have done some other things, but he needs, I think to see how certain things work and he can't, he, he's never going to be reactionary. Like he's never going to go out there and be like, unless it's so blatantly obvious, but like he still needs to, he needs multiple blatantly obvious opportunities here to say, okay, fine, I'm going to pull the trigger on this. And for him making that change for, uh, you know, taking, uh, Hayward out of the lineup for, I think it was the Knicks game. Like after 17 games, I mean, that's, that's Brad Stevens pulling the trigger, making that lineup change the, on November 26, after 20 games, that's him pulling the trigger on, the data that he's seen. And so um, I, I do think that some of it, some of this is him. This is just who he is. He spends time tinkering and experimenting. And then after all-star breaks, he adjusts. And I think one thing looking forward, and we'll talk about it tomorrow more is how much of all of this data that he's gathered is going to be applied moving forward. And what changes will he make? Uh, well, season doesn't start till after the all-star break. Yeah, we know that that's, that's, that's pretty common knowledge. That's canon. Um, but I, I do think that 
he he needs to exert a little bit more control just just in the he's he and again this is not necessarily his personality so this is kind of akin to asking Jason Tatum to drive more and draw more fouls it's an adjustment of his game but Brad Stevens has to make adjustments like every player has to make adjustments. He's in his, what, sixth year as the NBA, as the coach in the NBA. This is his first year with these level, uh, this level of talent, this level of ego. Like he's, he's gathering data on himself. Uh, He's, so I think there are opportunities for him to take control of these losses or, or these stretches where he can snap at these guys and pull a Greg Popovich and be like, Hey, cut the shit. All right. He's not afraid to say that. He's, he's definitely emotional during games. There's nothing wrong with him calling a timeout in the middle of a seven, what would end up being a 17 0 run. Like at 8 0 or 10 0, call a timeout and be like, will you guys wake the hell up? Please. You know, like, so that is the next step in his progression, which when I'm giving him a B, plus, like, maybe, maybe that should have been a B. I don't know, but I, I think I think that's something that he needs to work on. Let's take a break because we've been going for 20 minutes. We started this podcast and was like, oh, I don't know what we're going to talk about. And now we're going 20 minutes on Brad Stevens. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about a little bit more of this. And we'll get our best and worst games and hand out tacos here on the Lockdown Celtics Podcast. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Here we go! John Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. save the Brad Stevens talk for tomorrow because we have to figure out what he's going to apply moving forward, like I said. So we'll move on to the best and worst games. In I guess there's this is like AD and BC 
It's it's post November twenty sixth starting lineup with Smart. It's Smarf Day. Smarf, we, yeah. it's, it's known as Smarf Day. Uh, shout out to Herberto Riffs. <laughs> um, he he's declared it Smarf Day. So it's the pre Smarf era and the post Smarf era. Yeah. And so I think we, we should pick our our best game from uh, the pre era and the post era, or the worst game from the pre era and the post era, and then uh, the best individual performance from uh, both. Okay. Uh, well, uh, you, I'll start. I'll start with the best game, I guess. The best, the best pre-Smarf game was Celtics-Milwaukee, where the Celtics hit 24 three-pointers. And they attempted 55 of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, that was, that was a wild game. That was a fun one to be at. And they beat the Bucks 117-113. At that point, they were 6-2. and two. So that was fun. Everybody was feeling good. Like it, that was the end of a four-game winning streak, and and they won six of their first eight games. And it's kind of funny. You think back of oh, the first twenty games were so bad, but they they opened up six and two, and they had they had one of their losses was against Toronto, which was a collapse, and then they had a bad loss against the Orlando Magic. But they beat the Thunder. They beat the Pistons twice. They beat the Bucks. That Bucks game was like the culmination of like we were really feeling good about ourselves. I think that's a, a very solid pick, but my pick, um, which is uh, was the win over Toronto uh, in overtime, where I'm just looking at the box score now. It was basically Kyrie versus uh, Kawhi, and mm-hmm. Kyrie ended up winning at the end. But Kyrie scored 43 points on 18 of 26 shooting, only making only three. Uh, Three pointers in that game. Uh, it was mostly just him dominating, getting like crazy layup after crazy layup after crazy layup. He also had eleven assists. Um, that was like, oh, you ha- you had some hope because you thought, man, they they just like they struggled a little bit. They write they're going to write the ship. The Toronto win was going to uh, fix everything, and then they lost three games in a row. But so <laughs> that Toronto game, I just remember being it was like the first. Oh my God, Kyrie's absolutely insane game of the season and uh i think that was um anytime you can beat the the division rival i mean wins against the the top three teams in the east i would say the the third place game would be the opening night win against milwaukee so uh i mean not milwaukee the 76ers so all three of those i say are are top three uh for best games of the pre-smarf era can we call that Kyrie performance the best performance of the pre-smarf era absolutely i'm trying to think of a rival one Oh, I can't think of another one. Honorable uh, mention um, for a, a crazy game in that pre-Smarf era, uh, the win at Phoenix, where they just had crazy, crazy comeback. It wasn't mm-hmm. a great game, but the comeback was a lot of fun, and they had no business winning it. <laughs> I was watching that game, uh, coming back from a work trip. I was in a hotel, uh, hotel in Vegas watching in the lobby of like a weird steak restaurant. Uh, it was a... I was screaming my head off, but you're allowed to do that in Vegas. But I just remember that being a lot of good times. That's that was that was a wild comeback. Um, I forget about these things sometimes, man. The grind of the season, just I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that happened. Uh, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, worst worst performance, worst game of the pre Smarf era. I'm gonna pick. Uh, so many choices, so many choices. Um, that Utah game is tempting because they only scored 86 points and that was just a big dud, but 
the loss to the Knicks was the capper on a three game losing streak. And again, that was, uh, they got, they were nine and nine. They, they never dipped below 500. If I, I'm looking at, yeah, they never dipped below 500, but that nine and nine got them back to 500, which was their lowest point in, in that stretch. It would happen again in Dallas a couple of nights later, but in that game, the Celtics were down 84 69, uh, after three quarters. <laughs> and they were down as many as 26. They were down 26 points. That's their number. That's their magic number. 26 to the New York Knicks. Uh, that was, that was, that was bad. That was the, that the post game there was was horrible. That was like rock bottom. People were really really pissed. That was the that was the game before Thanksgiving, and so I went from there to like I went out, and there's every single person who was asking me, "What's wrong with the Celtics? What wrong with the Celtics?" And I was like, I, "I don't know, man. What do you what do you expect me to know? I just watch every <laughs> single game and talk about them on a podcast." But yeah, that was the, probably the a very low moment. I'm trying to think if there's nothing else really rivals that. I remember the Orlando game. They lost at home early in the season was just shocking because yeah. I just I did not think that was going to happen, but it wasn't a terrible loss. And then the only other thing I would mention would be the loss to Indiana where Oladipo hit the um, the game winner game winner from three just because Kyrie basically missed a gimme layup to be, uh, give them any chance of coming back in that game. And uh, it's it's never fun to lose on a buzzer beater. No, but it's like not fun, in but... terms of playing terribly, it was that Utah game, that Knicks game. Even the game when they played in Utah, they were pretty bad. Um, but that, I think the Knicks game definitely is uh, was the low point so of that uh, of the pre-Smart era. Yeah, and then the worst performance. Oh, uh, man. I can't think of individually like I feel like so many. I don't. Let's not pick a worst one. I can't. None of them stick out. It's like <laughs> super terrible. It's like oh, everyone shocked poorly. It's like yeah. any time, oh, Terry Rozier was 0 for 8 from 3. Like, yeah, yeah, there are a lot. Let's not focus on the negative there. <laughs> okay, then let's move on to the post-Smarf uh, wins and performances and all that stuff. And this uh, is a basically double the games, but... Um, yeah. Uh, I think the best, the best win of this post-Smarf era, it's a tough choice... Well, the best game, the best game is actually, I think, the loss to Golden State. That was the most fun game, that, but it wasn't a win. Uh, I thought the way I thought beating the Thunder was was really good. Uh, the the recent one where they won one thirty four one twenty nine on that uh, the Super Bowl Sunday game, that was fun. Yeah, no, that was absolutely. Great. That was much better than the freaking crappy ass Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> very high scoring. That was another Kyrie takeover game. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the game log now, and a lot of the wins, especially early on, were against kind of they had an easy schedule, beating up on the Bulls, Knicks, the Cavs, the Wizards, the Hawks. Um, but some of the best wins there, I would say, the one they uh, just had against Philly the one, was awesome. Yeah, the one that was what I was going to say is the one they had against Philly. Um, Especially just like the mentality going into it, um, I was prepared for full Celtics Twitter meltdown if they had lost that game because it's coming off two bad losses. Um, 
Philadelphia is just the rivals, but then just to kind of win the game in the in the manner in which the Celtics did with Horford just dominating and beat again, um, and to do it without Kyrie, nationally televised game, it was a like a huge I think uh, win for the Celtics. Um, so I think yeah, the, between those two, that the OKC game and then actually yeah, the loss to Golden State was uh, pretty much like those were the three best games I think the Celtics played. A lot of their other wins were against. Not that great opponents. No, oh, the, yeah, they. Um, let's see here. They they did beat Toronto. Uh, they did again. But I let me tell you, I'm looking clicking on the box score now. I don't remember much from that game. I'm guessing <laughs> Kyrie did well. Uh, he did in that game, I believe. I mean, he, he had, had twenty. Oh, he had twenty-seven and eighteen assists. Yeah, now yes, it's all coming. That back was the to eighteen me. assist game. Yes. So the best performance of the post Smurf. Um, I, I get two candidates. Um, Kyrie going for 40 and 10 on Christmas Day. For 10 rebounds, by the way. And then I'm going to submit the Al Horford game against the Sixers because without Kyrie to do what he did against Embiid, that 23.8 rebound, five assists, four steals against Joel Embiid and completely just frustrating Embiid and just really showing how much of a mismatch he is. I I think the Al Horford game against Philly a, a couple days before the break was one of my favorites and, and one of the best performances of the Celtics of an individual Celtic uh, of the post smart era. I, I strong agree here. Al Horford showed why I think he's the most important player uh, in the Eastern conference playoffs. Um, absolutely. With Kyrie, not there, it was basically all on Horford to uh, dominate and beat and still pass. I thought, I, I mean, at this point we're used to Kyrie just scoring 40 points. I mean, Looking at the 27 and 18 assist game, that's a pretty uh, crazy stat line. Um, it's another win against Toronto, but I'm going to go with that CM power uh, and go with uh, Al Horford over Joel Embiid. I was looking for a Marcus Smart game where it's, he went like 0 for 8, but was a plus 25 in the plus minus, <laughs> but I haven't been able to find it yet. <laughs> uh, let's leave it at that. I don't like picking a worse performance. Like that's yeah, and there, and there are so many bad ones. Like, I feel like we're just going to be picking on guys. Uh, so I don't want to do that. Uh, so let's just move on. We're going to take a quick break and we'll hand out tacos because since we're riding on a high note, let's, let's have fun with it and pick out tacos for the first, I want to keep wanting to say half of the season, the, the pre all-star break portion. The first of the three season. quarters. Yeah, really? The first 58 of 82, what people commonly call it. Exactly. That's the common you know, the common language for it. All right, we'll do that when we come back here on the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Hey, reminder, if you have a smart speaker or a smart device, uh, one of those things in your car or in your phone, just ask it to play the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Wake it up, give it the trigger word, and say, play podcast, Lockdown Celtics. Or if you want to play another one of the Lockdown podcasts from the Lockdown Podcast Network, do that. We'll be right back on the Lockdown Celtics podcast. All right, it's time to hand out some tacos. 
tacos are the way we give out our awards for excellence. We've changed it up over the course of uh, the first few years. It started out as the mystery machine. For those of you who are new here, because Jalen Brown, uh, like bought a van or took a picture with a van. That was a- <laughs> he, he posed near a van and yeah. we just took off running. Uh, yeah. It looked like, look, I want to believe that he bought the mystery machine. And so we put the standout players in the mystery machine. And then Aaron Baines came along and because he's Australian, we decided to give him a big boat and put people. No, he, Oh, let's get clear here. He just said in a pregame interview or something that he wanted to live on a houseboat. That's right. That's right. So then we put people on Aaron Baines' big Australian boat. And now because Jason Tatum loves tacos and continuously puts tacos with two pounds of cheese on them on his Instagram story. We, we, we got an official uh, – he talked about All-Star Weekend. Yes. For three tacos, he puts an entire bag of shredded cheese. That's wild. That is so wild. That's a lot of cheese. I bought one of those bags. I had. I still have it in my fridge. I bought it like a month ago, and I haven't used all that cheese. And I like cheese, like an abnormal <laughs> amount. Like I love cheese, and not as much as Taco J. Not man. as much as Taco J. I mean, that guy loves cheese. Uh, so that's how we've arrived at the taco truck, and so here we are handing out our pre All Star break tacos. Of course. The mainstay, the guy driving the truck, the guy who eats for free all the time, is Kyrie Irving, who's had a phenomenal season, and I don't know how much more there is to say about Kyrie other than he's having the best damn season, regular season of his career at this point. Yes, he's efficient, he's passing the ball, he's giving a shit on defense, he's getting steals, Uh, he's been amazing. It's just from, he's shooting over 40% from three, uh... Basically at 50% from the field, he's uh, the whole reason this team can really do anything and has any hopes moving forward. He is a uh, a taco legend, a taco Hall of Famer. I don't think there's been a week where he hasn't gotten a taco. Uh, so, of course, he gets the first taco of the 58th out of the 82nd game spectacular. <laughs> do you want to go with you? Sure. The next selection, I'm going to have to go with Al Horford. Now, he's only he missed a couple games here, but... I mean, Al Horford is good. Al Horford he's, is important. He is the good. main person in their uh, their defense. He is the back line. He is the guy who can guard Giannis. He's the guy who can guard Embiid. Um, he's still giving you uh, base 12, uh, 12 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists a game. Um, but he's the entire reason like they can play a 5-out offense and they, they can play – uh, the way that they do, just his ability to pick and pop, and he gives space to the entire offense. He can pass. He's just uh, phenomenal. And I think there were moments where he's been, um, where it seemed like he was hurt in his knee and he was a step slow. Um, but I think he's definitely come back from that and has been uh, just the same great Al Horford, especially in the last, I would say, 10, or 10 games or so. And he's just blocking the shit out of people. Uh, it says he only has... Uh, 1.4 blocks per game, but that feels low. It feels like he's been averaging two blocks a game. So I'm going to go on my feeling right there <laughs> and say he deserves a taco. Uh, I will give you the block stat that it's it's not just the 1.4 blocks per game. It's the block percentage, which, which is at 4.5, which is at by far a career high. And so the block percentage is the estimate of the opponent attempts that he blocks on the floor. So 4.5 is a really good number. 
Uh, and it's at a career high, 1% 1 higher than any previous high. So that's, that's I think, the, the he's blocking a lot of shots. He's, he's, blo he has, he's doing more with his opportunities to block shots. So I agree. I am liberal with my tacos, so I'm happy to give Al Horford a taco. I mean, I'm, I'm not. It's not like a participation taco. He deserves it, but you know, he's. I think missing the time in December kind of hurts his case. His overall production being down, I think he has. And we knew coming in that he was going to be the guy that took a step back as everybody figured this out, but. I think we what we've seen over the past couple of games is just the potential. What's lying in wait for him? And I think some of it's been he's kind of saving himself, coasting a little bit, but he's still doing exceptionally well. He's not shooting as well from three as he has as he did last year, but he's still shooting 37%, which is above league average by a full percentage point. He's shooting almost 60% from two, which is the best of his career. So he's doing very well. He's shooting 80% from the line, which ties a career high. So he's got good numbers uh, to go along with even the decrease in production. So uh, I'm all for uh, Al Horford getting the uh, taco. Uh, I assumed, I thought you were going to go with Marcus Smart first. And I, Marcus Smart is, I mean, he's, he's the, he's the, what the, the the flashpoint he's the mendoza line he's the whatever we want to call it the mason dixon line i don't know he's the thing he's the time his inclusion in the starting lineup is what where everything changed and his toughness his smartness his just ability to affect games without doing anything offensively and oh by the way on top of it shooting an easy career high 30%, 36% from three. That is the league average. That How long have we been saying Marcus Smart as a league average shooter? That's all he has dangerous. to do. It's all he's got to be. If he ever just gets the league average, then he's dangerous. And there he is. And that's after a bad stretch over the last month or in, in a couple of like where he missed like 21 or 22 in a row or something like that, 20 in a row. So that's still he, – he had a rough stretch, and that brought him down to league average. So hopefully moving forward he can keep shooting somewhere 36% or better. And that, that mark is smart, man. If he's shooting like that and he can be reliable, and it's not like the 36% where he's shooting 50% for a stretch and then 20% for, you know, another – like he if he can do it a little more consistently, then uh, – Man, that guy's dangerous. He changes the way the Celtics have to be played in the in in the playoffs. I agree. Smart gets a taco, but I was actually going to go to the other Marcus, who also got inserted into the starting lineup, and at one point this season was shooting forty five percent from three. Mm -hmm. Mook, he's still shooting over forty percent, forty one percent from three. He's giving you he's the third leading scorer on this team after Kyrie and Jason Tatum. He's giving you a very much needed fifteen points a game. Um, He's just, he's like completely changed the shot profile. He's the one of the few guys who like really attacks the rims and gets, um, free throw attempts. Uh, he's, he's just been much better Mookie and he's just knocking down threes. Now he's clearly taken a, a kind of come back to earth where he's not no longer at 45%. And now every single time he shoots a three, you don't anticipate it's going in, but 41% is still a damn good percentage. And I think he deserves some credit for just, uh, kind of, 
improving his game that much. And I think he's also been pretty solid uh, on the defensive end. I remember stretches where he was the kind of the one to guard Kawhi. He guards LeBron James. He's he's just been a very solid uh, member of the starting lineup. And so um, if we're going to get credit for one Marcus entering the starting lineup, I think we have to give credit to the other one. Yes, we absolutely do. Uh, I think the the – Adjustment in his shot profile is the best indicator of, of why he deserves the taco that he is. Um, he's increased his attempts in the restricted area by about 25%. His mid range attempts are down by about 30% and he's increased the number of threes and he's in, improved the distribution between above the break and corner threes, uh, mostly above the break threes, but instead of driving and taking those mid-range shots, he's either pulling up from three or he's driving and getting himself into the paint, generally speaking. He still takes mid-range, but he he has adjusted the way he shot, uh, the types of shots that he's taken, and it's, it's shown an increased efficiency. So uh, it's awesome. I think it's awesome. And he's also increased his rebounding, like you said. So that, that's, all been, um, that's all been great. I think the... He, he had a little bit of a chip, uh, a, a drop uh, in January, um, a regression to the mean maybe a little bit, but still the first part of this season has been uh, amazing. He's The Celtics don't get anywhere near as good as they are without him. So that's cool. I only, I only have one more taco uh, on my list because I don't want everyone getting a taco. That ruins how special the taco is. I only have one more guy, so – I know you're more generous. You're more generally more generous with the tacos. So let me hear your uh, your other nominations. Um, I my other nomination would be Aaron Baines. I agree, but I I think the fact that he's only played 34 games dis, might disqualify him. Sure. Okay. I mean, that's I'm on the fence. Um, I'm. I don't think like Jalen Brown has recovered very well. Uh, He's improved, but he did suck. So I don't think you can give him a taco for his early uh, struggles. Yeah, Jason Tatum could get a taco. I, I agree, but he with his mid-range uh, shenanigans, I don't think he's taco worthy. Even though he did win the Taco Bell Skills Challenge uh, as Taco J for with a half-court uh, grift, which was fantastic. Uh-huh. But um, I think with all his mid-range uh, Kobe shenanigans, I don't think he's taco worthy. Yeah, um, I I I think we're narrowing it down to your choice. Can I guess? Yes. Is it Daniel Tice? No, but he definitely deserves an honorable mention. My choice is the Time Lord. Ah. Man, that guy's amazing. He's electric. <laughs> Every single time he enters the game, it's fun. He will volleyball swat of, uh, things out of bounds. The guy is obsessed with jumping. All he does is jump, and it's just fantastic stuff. He's been probably the most exciting part of the whole first season. I'm very disappointed in Brad for him not getting more playing time. Uh, but I think just for, for capturing our hearts, uh, I would give to Robert Williams uh, my final taco. I, I'm not going to argue it. I wouldn't have given him one, but I, I, I'm not going to argue people's tacos. Uh, all I will say is that my taco for Robert Williams, I put on a very top shelf that I thought was going to be far out of his reach, and he probably jumped up and grabbed it. Like that's the athleticism of Robert Williams. I don't. Like, I, Baines definitely gets consideration. Tice, Tice gets some for stepping in for Baines and like holding his own and yeah, but uh, he, he also got. For- 
he he's been shooting. What's he like fifty percent from three now at this point? What he's like he he's forty six, which 46% is insane from three. That's a, that's just an insane number for him. Uh, and he's had a streak. Uh, he had a long streak there uh, of made threes. He also though got kind of bounced around in Memphis and in Detroit. So he, he wasn't all great, but he's he's done extra, extraordinarily well lately. So he he gets. Uh, these aren't are the guys who don't get the tacos, but you know they can get like I don't know a tostada. It's, it's something, <laughs> something chips and salsa. Yeah, right. They can hang right. out. They can hang out. It's just right. They don't get the taco, but they can hang out at the table and have like some of the chips and salsa. Um, all right, that's good. I, I'm I'm comfortable with where we landed there. So we'll wrap it up. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about future Celtics. As we move forward, there's uh, the season's almost over. <laughs> Looking at the schedule, it's so wild right now. The way the Celtics, uh, what the way the NBA has structured their their season, they started earlier, and they now they've packed in all of these games before the All Star break. They haven't been able to move the All Star break up, I guess, because of scheduling. And it, how do you schedule a Sunday All Star game with the NFL playoffs going on? Like, I don't know how they're going to rectify that, but I'll. They need to they need to change this up a little bit so we're not coming out of the All Star game down the home stretch. But here we are, and we'll talk about that home stretch tomorrow. So uh, subscribe to the podcast if you're new. If you're a regular subscriber, give us that five star rating and a good review, and share the podcast. Tell everybody listen to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feet every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.